Parashat Bo. So I want to tell you a story. When we were in uh, Tzamap, we were in the third stage of basic training. First stage is like infantry training. Second stage is tank school. You learn how to sort of work a tank, drive a tank, whatever. And third stage is what's called Tzavet Machlaka Pluga, where you learn how to function as a uh, tank crew, as a tank crew in the context of a platoon, and as a tank crew in the context of a company. And that involves a very, very difficult uh, three, four months. Uh, all week you're in Shetach. You most of the time sleep in your tank. Um, you get very little sleep at night. You know, some days you're working on driving in a, in my case, I was a driver, mountainous terrain. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, short terrain. Sometimes it's learning how to take a Syrian pita, whatever these things are, right? And, um, and sometimes they just surprise you with all sorts of fun things to do. So this particular time, you know, uh, it was Thursday night and uh, we weren't getting out for Shabbos. They lined us up in two rows, which means we're going on a masa. And... We start this Masa, you know, the way they did it was, you don't know where you're going, you don't know how long you're going for, that's part of the torture, um, and that's reality, like when you're in a war, you don't, you don't always know how long you're, like especially if you're a soldier, and you gotta run, and at one point, you know, they start yelling, okay, everybody open up your stretchers. Now, there were two guys who carried a stretcher, right, we were like a machaka, whatever, 30 guys, and these two stretchers, you have to put two big guys, they always pick the biggest guys, right, they put them on the stretchers, right, and we had to run with these stretchers. And there's a whole sheet that had to do this. You know, the first time you're doing this, you're in agony because you don't know that, you know, you got to get someone to switch you all the time. Once you get a little more polished, right? By this time, we're more polished. We've been in the army already six months. So we know we have these little uh, sponges, pieces of sfog, have in your pocket. You pull it out, put it under your shirt so it doesn't dig into your thing, right? You're running with it, right? You go for like a minute or two and you go, psst, somebody jumps in. So nobody's carrying for a long time, so it's doable, Right? And at one point, and the next guy's turn comes, and this was a new guy in the unit. He had come from, and I didn't know much about him, I hadn't had a chance to talk to him yet. He was a, a short squat guy, right? Gingy, right? Um, broad, but short, little stubby legs. And when we were on the Masa, I noticed that for every one, and I'm not a big guy, but for every one step of mine, he almost had to take two steps. Shorter guys have a much tougher time in the army. They have advantages, but on a Masa, they have a disadvantage, right? And, um, and I, I, I thought about it, like I felt bad for him, like it's harder. You know, a guy who's really tall, no, don't go out, just turn it off. Avner, come back, turn it off, and sit down. Thank you, right? Now you're famous, right? So, so see why it's good to sit up front, right? And, and sometimes, right? Like, you know, it's much harder for him so. So he do the psst. And he's the guy who steps in. And I'm like a couple guys back. I'm like almost next in line to take the stretcher. And I realize this is going to be a problem. And this was a really hard massa. We've been going already 10, 15 kilometers. You're sweating. You're dying. You know, you just, you, 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 it's the middle of the night. You don't know how long it's going to be. It was just so hard to keep going. And you're trying to motivate yourself, but it's like step after step and whatever, kilometer after kilometer, it's just, it's like breaking you. And sometimes you think like, how am I gonna do this, right? And so we're, you know, running in the night with these stretchers in the middle of some godforsaken place in the mountains, whatever. And um, he gets under the stretcher. And I think to myself, like, how is this guy gonna manage? Like, first of all, he has to do twice as, he's like the road runner, you know, he's gotta go twice as fast as everybody else. And second of all, he's very short. So the stretcher's going to lean. So either he's going to put it on his shoulder and the guy could fall off. That's not good. Right? 
it's more weight on him, or he's going to have to hold it up. It's very difficult. So I kind of made to myself, like I said, okay, you know what? I'm only going to give him a minute. I'm going to switch him because it's hard. And then I saw the most incredible thing. He must have realized this, right? Okay? And the other guy, who's a little taller than him, who's even a little taller than me, is trying to lower it, whatever it is, right? He, he gets the other guy, gets under the stretcher, pushes the other guy out of the way, grabs the other out of the stretcher, puts both of them on his shoulders, and starts to jog. I never saw anything like that in my life. I never saw anything like that. Okay? That's how broad he was. He has both of the stretcher lines. The whole front of the stretcher is on his thing. He's got the thing on his shoulder, and he's just jogging. Right? And I thought, wow, that's, that's a creative solution, but that's crazy. You're carrying twice the weight. And so I wait a minute, and then I try to switch him, right? And he elbows me out of the way. And I tried it a couple times, and he just kept running. Kilometer after kilometer after kilometer. I think he ran 10 kilometers with the stretcher on his shoulders. I never saw anything like it. The most amazing thing about this was, it wasn't just me. Everybody started to see this. It completely changed the massage. Completely changed the Masa. Because right before this happened, I was, I was near breaking point. I mean, one of the things you learn in the army is, however far you can push yourself, you can always push yourself further. But then it became something different. I didn't have to push myself. He was like pulling, we were so inspired watching him. How could you not run when a guy is running with a whole stretcher on himself? Now, I later found out that he had come from Commando Gami, which is one of the top elite units in the army. He had fallen out because of some medical issue about being underwater. So he was an ox, right? So for him, a 10 kilometers running the stretcher was nothing. But I didn't know that at the time. Completely changed the There was a moment in that Masa where everything turned around. Now, why do I tell you this? Because I want to share with you an unbelievable idea. Unbelievable idea. Okay? So, Kashbarach says, one more Makkah. One more. We had six makot, seven makot in Parshat Vaera. Now we got the last three. Why there's six, seven there and three here is a whole other discussion. Some of us had that discussion in Poland, but whatever. And now we get to number 10. We're almost there. We're going to get out. And Hashem says, I'm going to come in the middle of the night. In the middle of the night. I'm going to come. And Medr says, right? Ani me, Right? Hashem himself is coming. This is going to be a different level. Hashem is going to come at midnight. And in fact, when you look at, uh, when you look at the Makkah, that's exactly what happens. Anybody recognize those words? Okay. This year, when you get to that song in the Haggadah, in the Haggadah, Haggadah, remember this moment. It'll change the way you sing that song. Exactly at midnight. Now, why do I say exactly at midnight? Because there was a fascinating Rashi. I'm going to come around midnight. That's a strange thing for Moshe Rabbeinu to say. I'll be there around midnight. What do you mean around midnight? Hashem doesn't come around midnight. Hashem comes at midnight. Why does it say around midnight? So I'm sure some of you recognize this Rashi. Rashi quotes the matter. says like this. Right? Right? Why does Moshe say around midnight? By the way, this is in Parakel Aleph Pasuket, if you want to look it up, chapter 11, verse 2. Right? It's around midnight, a little before, a little after. Okay. 
ולא אמר בחצות, זה זה את מדנית, שמא יטעו את סטנגיני פרו, because the astrologers of פרו might make a mistake. Hashem says, Moshe says, we'll come at midnight. And let's say that their watch is off, and it's 12 and 30 seconds. Hashem isn't coming. V'yomru, Moshe Badayu, they can say, oh, this guy's a joker. He's not serious. He said, Hashem's coming at midnight. He's not here yet. But Hashem, who knows that midnight is midnight, Hashem is the only one who comes exactly at midnight, he says midnight. That's what Rashi says. And the Siftei Chachamim, Perish on Rashi, V'kadosh Baruch Hu Amar LeMoshe Bechatzot HaLayla, Shehu Mashma Be'emtza HaLayla Mamash, Ela Shemoshe Shina V'amar Kechatzot. Right? Rashi says, Moshe changed what Hashem says, because the astrologers might get it wrong. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. Think about this for a minute. The river turned to blood. Frogs are exploding all over the country. Hail is coming down, fire and water mixed together. Wild animals are killing everything. Locusts come out, I mean, darkness that holds you in your seat. Unbelievable. Uh, it's 12.01! There is Moshe! Ah! That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. They're going to say he's a joker? Are you nuts? What's going on here? A letter in the Torah is not stamp. Moshe Rabbeinu changes something that God said. What's going on here? And what is Rashi talking about? So I want to share with you an unbelievable idea. Unbelievable idea. Which so fits this evening. First daf of brachos. I'm going to share with you a parish of Rav Kook on the first daf of brachos. It doesn't get much holier than that. And the first half of Brachos, Brachos is the first Masech in the Gemara. So if Ravina Nervashi, who edited and put together a Talmud Bavli, put something on the, in the first Masech, that means it's important. If it's on the first half, it's one of the basic <coughs> ideas of Judaism. So this is an important idea. And we all know, the Gemara says like this, right? Uh, let me find it. Right? From when do we read Shema at night? Right? From the time the Kohanim come to eat Shuma. So you have a Kohen, and he's tummy, he's impure. I don't know, he picked up a lizard. Lizard is a sheretz, right? A cockroach, whatever he's tummy. Can't eat his Shuma. Right? Maybe he had a seminal emission. He's impure, right? Potential life lost, death, contact with death, he's impure. Okay. So what does he have to do? Well, the first thing he's got to do is he's got to go to the mikvah. He has to see that he's clean now. He has to, you, you know, you can't jump into the mikvah with a sheretz in your hand. Right? If he's still having seminal missions, he can't go to the mikvah. But he realizes he's clean, so he jumps into the mikvah. Okay, he's in the mikvah. He comes out of the mikvah. He's pure, right? Pure? Nope, not pure yet. Right? You have to wait. The Pasuk says, When the sun goes down, when it becomes night. Right? And then he's pure. But he's not really pure yet. Right? If he's pure, he can go into the base of Mikdash. Is he allowed to go into the base of Mikdash? Anybody know? Can he do the Avoda? No. What does he have to do still? He has to bring carbon. A carbon in the Gemara and Divrei Chazal is called Kapara. He has to atone for whatever mistake, whatever this symbolizes. So there's three stages. He's got to go to a mikvah, the sun has to set, and he's got to get Kapara. 
That's an interesting question, why you need all the stages. Short version, jumping in the mikvah is what we do. Sunset is what a Karsh Baruch do, does. Becoming pure, putting yourself on the right path is a combination. I got to do my bit, but I have to trust Hashem will do His. Not just because you do all the right things, you're dieting, doesn't mean you're going to lose weight. Shame has to decide if you're going to lose weight. But, you know, if you eat four burgers every night at midnight, it doesn't matter how much amuna you have. Shem says, you got to do your bit. Okay. But just because you have no burgers and you're eating wheat crackers, doesn't mean you lose weight. Okay. you got to charge up the hill. Shem still is going to start. Okay, fine. But there's an interesting question here. Right? The Gemara says, right? Um... When do Kohanim come to eat their truma? When it gets dark, the end of the process of Harev Shemesh is when the stars come out. So if we know that a Kohen eats his truma when the stars come out, why does it say that you eat the truma, right? Sorry, so if we know that you can say Shema therefore, right? When the Kohen eats his truma, and we know that the Kohen can come eat his truma when the stars come out, what would it make more sense to say? You can say Shema when the stars come out. So the Gemara has its own lima. What's going on here? Why is it important to know that a Kohen can eat his truma? Either he's pure or he's impure. He's obviously impure. He hasn't brought a carbon. He can't come into the base of Mikdash. But then again, he's pure because he's eating truma. What's going on here? Listen to this rough cook. Oh, this is as good as chillin'. This is unbelievable. Okay? By the way, this is the parish when, when some of us have been learning you know, sort of the Olatariya and Tefillah. And I told you of Tzvi that collected pieces from the commentary of Rav Kook on Talmud. That's the Enaya. And I don't believe the Enaya has been translated into English. It's an unbelievable commentary. And here's an example. Okay? V'hinei, right? Hayom she'avar v'lo yishlim bo nafsho v'yarad mimadregato. Right? Person was tame. A day has passed, but he hasn't finished becoming pure. When a person comes back to do tshuva, there are two levels, two stages to doing tshuva. Remember we said lashuv is to go back, to become the person you always wanted to be. The first stage, is the person who fixes, made a mess of things, he messed up, did a chet. He fixed himself and he becomes whole, like he was before the chet, right? You know, a person let himself go, gained 100 pounds. He's 300 pounds, he should be 200 pounds. So the, highest, the higher level of chum is, you get back to where you're supposed to be, right? You're now back to being your weight, and you got there. You did tshuva, you got back to where you're going to be, right? That's what it means. Right? However, even if he hasn't yet gotten back to the stage that he was at, right, before he made his mistake, Let's say that a person wants to lose weight. I'm just using that as an easy example. You can pick any example. And you realize you're 300 pounds. And you have a karasachet, right, the first stage of tshuva. You're making a mistake. And it finally bothers you enough you're going to do something bad. You decide you're going to do something bad. And that day, you have vegetables for lunch instead of uh, potato chips. And that night, you have a burger, but you don't eat the bun and you don't eat the fries. And afterwards, you get on the treadmill 
And the next morning you weigh yourself and you lost a pound. You're 2.99. Now let's be honest here. Nobody else notices a difference. You're still 299 pounds. Don't have a big party yet. Like you're still, you know, you got a lot of work to do. I didn't say it. I thought it, but I didn't say it. Nothing's really changed yet. Says of Cook, that's not true. That's not true at all. You know what changed? You're headed back in the right direction. Everything changed. You're no longer getting heavier. You're getting lighter. You turned your life around. You're not there yet. You got a long way to go. Until you can go into the base of Mikdash, until you get back to where you were. But something changed. You turned it around. We're in the middle of this Masa. We're still in the middle of the Masa. We're still in the mountains. We're still in the dark. We're still sweating. We're still dying. But something turned around. We're no longer heading down into despair. We're heading up the mountain towards glory. It's an unbelievable feeling. Nobody else knows that you've changed, but you know. You lost a pound. You did something. You changed. You turned it all around. And that has Tahara. You're not there yet. But such a day, such a day where you immersed in a mikveh, you decided you wanted to become pure, that changed everything. That changed everything. Says Moshe Rabbeinu, right? It's important to understand that the exact point of midnight is critical. Because this side of midnight, I'm closer to the day before. And that side of midnight, I've turned it around. I'm heading towards the light. The astrologers may not notice. So we're going to call it kachatzor because they don't get this. But Hashem says, it's important in the Torah that you know that there's a difference. So I want to tell you something. This night, in this place, we had one night, late night in the base. It's one pound. If it's just this night, you jumped in a mikveh, you, didn't, you never got to the base of mikveh. Or something changed. And we changed direction. We turned something around. We went to Poland. We went to Akko. We went to Atlit. We saw things. We started to think, we're blessed. I mean, we're truly blessed. Look where we are. Look what we get to do. You sit in your makom and they bring you a hamburger. Think about this. Never mind Auschwitz, Treblinka, and Belzec. Do you know what a Jew in Atlit, in a refugee camp, after he was a Holocaust survivor and he's put in a place that reminds you of the camps, what he, must have, what he would have felt like if they brought him a hamburger and a bun, and then they said, there's vegetables in the back. Can you imagine? Do we get it? Do we appreciate it? Do we turn it around? Do we discover yeshiva? This is where the magic is. You know, the beginning of the Masah, that's morning Seder. Getting deeper into night, it's afternoon Seder. Night Seder. But late night in the base, that's when you turn it around. That's when the magic is. An hour of late night in the base worth three hours the rest of the day. Guaranteed. I've been here now, this is my 14th year. Guaranteed. You get to decide if this is a moment or if this lasts. Do you understand? We... We saw some of us, the Warsaw Ghetto. It is impossible to imagine how dark a night they were in. It's the summer of 1943. They've they've taken 450,000 Jews from Warsaw, 350,000 Jews to Treblinka. 900,000 Yidin murdered in nine months. They took them on trains. They took them off the trains. It took them less than an hour. They robbed them. 
they strip them, they, 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 they shave them, they gas them, and they burn them all in an hour. We were in Treblinka longer than they were. You can't imagine such a dark night. And 60,000 Jews finally say enough is enough. And 300 of them maybe, there's estimates, debates, decide something has to change. And they made Molotov cocktails and they smuggled in a few guns. And they took on what ended up being a force that was about 28 times their size with tanks and artillery and flamethrowers. And what did they have? And you look at that and you say, nothing changed. They burned down the ghetto. They caught almost all of them. They shipped them off to Treblinka. It's still night. The world says nothing changed. But they knew something changed. They turned something around. And that's what you got to decide in your life. You got to celebrate moments where you succeed in turning things around. That's why this is the Parsha of Geula. When do we experience that night? There's still slaves in Egypt. But they took the God of the Egyptians and they slaughtered it. They took the blood of the God of the Egyptians and they painted it on their door. They said, into this house, Egyptian idolatry is no longer welcome. They're still sitting in, in, in slavery. But they turned everything around. And that's the challenge of Parshat Bov. And we get to decide where do we fit in that spectrum.